Table Radio. We are on the fourth theme in our Rooted series, Sacrificial Fellowship. The following is Jonathan's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, January 17th. Enjoy! We're going to start with the reading today. It's from Acts chapter 2 and beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. This doesn't mess things up too much, but that's in my face. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So back uh, when the table was a new church just being planted, I was a pastoral intern here. This was about 10 maybe more years ago. And Becky and I rented a little duplex in Fernwood, just around the corner from where Tim and Michelle and Mike and Sarah live now. And there were, we were part of a table midweek community group that we cleverly called the Fernwood Group, and I believe the, the moniker still exists out there. And the Fernwood Group was, to Becky and myself, a real community. We were really happy that we lived surrounded by this tight-knit group of good friends. And that year, as part of my internship, we were asked to put together a little promo video for our midweek community groups, and this is what we came up with. Before it starts, I just want you to bear in mind that this was 10 years ago. Uh, Times have changed a bit. We've matured a bit. Um, It's also, at the time, a certain Christopher Nolan movie had become quite popular but uh, hopefully you can check it out. Okay, so obviously we were a lot younger. It was a sillier time, Uh, but the point of showing that was to highlight what a great little community we did develop. And today we are looking at our rooted belief that God created us to live in community. Genesis 1 tells us, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. We are created in the image of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons that live in community with one another as one God. As Andy shares in origin class, family and community isn't even a created thing. It has always existed in the very nature of God. We're not created to live alone in isolation. This community is what we were created to live in. And that's why when community is stripped from us, it hurts. When you move, it hurts. It's hard, it's sad, 
it almost feels like having a limb ripped off because it's a part of who you are being taken away. And we've all experienced that now because of the global pandemic. We've been cut off from our community, from each other. I mean, you're not even here. I'm talking into this camera right in front of me. I am picturing you all. But it's not the same. And even though we have been doing this for a while now, it still hurts, doesn't it? It's still difficult, it's still sad, and it still feels like we've had a limb ripped off. Community wasn't created for us. It has always been. We were created to be in community with each other and with our God. And so this is why one of our seven core longings as a community at the table is for sacrificial fellowship. Now, fellowship isn't a word that we hear in the church as much as we used to. It kind of got overused a bit during the 90s. And these days, it's mostly been replaced with another word, community, although that also gets overused a bit sometimes. Both words are used to translate the Greek word koinonia. Now, I didn't have to look that one up because at Regent, they often like to drop these Greek or Latin words and phrases into everyday English conversation. And koinonia is definitely a favorite. I remember on my first day at Regent, in my first class, our instructor gave us an activity to help us build koinonia. And I looked around and wondered why everyone else was nodding, like they knew what he was talking about, and immediately felt intimidated, out of place, out of my league. This Greek word koinonia is a loaded word. It holds a lot of meaning. It's one that one English word can't quite fully describe. It's a loaded word, but it's loaded with a lot of good things. The word describes community, society, partnership, participation, intimacy, contribution, sharing, and communion. And so our vision at the table in Table Peninsula, what we long for, is to live our lives as a gospel-formed community, a family of priests on mission. And our mission, what we hope to do, is to draw people into this community, into communion with Christ, into communion with one another, and to send people on mission to bless our neighbors so that we may see Jesus Christ revealed in common life and draw others in. As we love God, love each other, and love and bless our neighbors, we long to be this tight-knit community in partnership in the gospel with one another, participating in, contributing to, and sharing in one another's lives. But this longing goes even further than that. We long not just for fellowship, but for sacrificial fellowship. Since we know how Christ revealed the cost of this kind of love, and since we believe the Holy Spirit will and does empower us to be able to do this, to live this out with one another, Sadly, this sacrificial element is something that doesn't always come naturally to us. Uh, that's just part of our shared sinful nature. But thankfully, we have an example in Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, if we look at the passage that I just read from Acts 2, it provides an excellent description of this koinonia in the early church. We see the community learning about their faith together, eating and worshiping together, and sharing money and possessions as there was need, taking care of one another. 
And Josh and Andy highlighted this passage when the table was first planted. And we've built this church community on these principles. And I think it's safe to argue that we as a community at the table do a lot of this stuff quite well. It's something that we often celebrate. But of course, I think it's also fair to say that there is always still room to grow. Now, some of you may remember the last time I spoke that I mentioned that one of the dangers of doing community so well together is that we can sometimes risk the community becoming a bit of an idol. We can sometimes place more importance on it than the other things we're called to do as a church, like worshiping God and mission. The Fernwood group that we just saw was a great little community. We were always really excited to see each other. But though this was a blessing, it also had its disadvantages because even when we gathered on Sundays with the whole table community, we tended to veer towards each other. And to be honest, we became a bit cliquey. And I remember on one occasion when Josh thought of one couple who was new at the table who would be a good fit, I was a bit shocked when some members of our group complained because they didn't want to disturb the great chemistry that we had as a group. It doesn't take much for us to become too comfortable in the communities we've built and fearful of what others might do to them. And the Fernwood group is just a small trivial example of this, but this is a natural human tendency and it is one that is behind some of the greatest conflicts in society, both past and present. Sacrificial fellowship often means giving up that sense of comfort for the sake of others. Now in the end, our group agreed to meet this new couple and of course when they showed up, they fit in right away and all was wonderful. And we learned our lesson and we learned to welcome more newcomers into the group so that over time the cast of the Fernwood group revolved quite a bit and included such table legends as Kristen Crossman and the Rathgens, as well as a bevy of other colorful characters. Again, last time I spoke, we talked about our longing for outworking love and our mission to reach out to our neighbor. But the next part of that, some of what we're here to talk about today, is what we do when we do reach them and to what extremes we're called to do that. The table does community well. Many of us are participating and contributing to and sharing in one another's lives. But we're not here today just to pat each other on the back for this. There are, of course, still areas we can grow. And I don't want to be too harsh in pointing out these areas, but I do want to share one area that has been of concern to me. I observed just one example of this at man camp last, or back when we were allowed to do it. It is such a great opportunity to invite men and families who aren't a part of the table to share in our community. And this is another example of something that we did a great job of. It was a great event with lots of new faces. But I did notice that some of the new faces, perhaps if they weren't as outgoing, often ended up spending a lot of time alone or even forming separate groups on their own. We worked so hard to get them to come out and then sometimes they still ended up being excluded. And this wasn't intentional. I know that many of us had our hands full with setting up camp, trying to figure out where our kids went, trying to make food, trying to find time to hang out with our friends. 
but we should reflect on how we as a community can continue to grow at welcoming in the stranger once we've welcomed them in. How do we make them feel welcome? So it's through that lens that I wanted to take a look at a passage from Luke 10. It's a well-known episode. This man, this lawyer, comes to Jesus, and it seems he wants to outduel this new hotshot teacher in town in a theological jousting match. So he asks, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he often does, answers with a summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And wanting to keep the joust going, the lawyer asks, okay, so who's my neighbor then? Now, first of all, it's worth noting that he didn't ask, and how do I love my neighbor? But who is my neighbor? As in, who is included? And who do I get to exclude from this commission, this command? But Jesus uses a story to answer both of the questions. He tells of a man who's mugged along a dangerous road. And two men find him, one a priest, the other a respected member of the religious community. But both of these men avoid this injured man. They move to the other side of the road. They keep going. We aren't told why. A lot of speculation has been made. But they're unwilling to give up what it takes to help this man. Then the Samaritan comes by. And Jesus includes this detail because the Samaritans were well-known enemies of the Jews. These days, sadly, it might be similar to the beaten man wearing a Make America Great Again hat and the guy who comes down the road wearing an Antifa t-shirt. These were two groups between whom there was extremely volatile amount of political and even religious tension. But the Samaritan does not avoid the injured man. He crosses to the other side of the road. Well, he doesn't cross to the other side of the road to just keep going about his business. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning he would then have to walk for the rest of the way, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you if you spend any extra. So to answer the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, Jesus says, yes, it is, your friends, Yes, it's the people who are part of your community, but it's also the outsider. And not just people who aren't a part of your community yet, who you might like to welcome in, but the excluded ones. The ones with whom you would normally not associate or even intentionally avoid. And the answer to the question the lawyer should have asked, how do I love these people? How do I love my neighbor? Is demonstrated by this good Samaritan. It is a sacrifice. The man is willing to sacrifice his time and energy to stop his journey, to stop going where he was going, pull over to the side of the road, and give his time and energy to helping this injured man. He's willing to sacrifice his own money. We don't know if he was rich or poor, but we do know that two denarii was about two days' wages, and that he offered to pay even more if needs be. This natural enemy of the injured man is also willing to sacrifice his own safety. He puts himself at risk when he stops on the side of this dangerous road to help the injured man. 
And we see that in much the same way that Jesus sent his disciples out with the Great Commission to go and make disciples, Jesus ends his teaching with, on what it means, what it actually takes to follow the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbors, with a similar command, to go and do likewise. So our longing as a church to incorporate sacrificial fellowship into our rooted identity is really less of something we would like to do to make us better and more of following this command from Jesus' lips. And again, the good news is we're pretty not terrible at this. We on the whole as a community do place high value on these things. This is evident in everyone's willingness to jump on board our meal trains, to give their time and energy and even money into preparing and delivering a meal to someone in our community who is in need, even if it means spending some extra time to drive a little further to those who live far away. And our family has been blessed by this as well. We're pretty not terrible at it, but there's always room to grow. Perhaps one of the best examples of sacrificial fellowship that I was blessed to experience was when I was 11 at the church my dad planted in Cape Town called Kingsway Christian Fellowship. There was a street corner in Cape Town on Rosmead Avenue where African men from the townships and squatter camps would sit, hoping to be picked up for a job as a day laborer. These were men coming in hoping to gain some work to earn money just to put food on their tables. And so my father and some of the other leaders in the church started going down to this corner and handing out sandwiches. And this led to being able to pray for them and even being able to share the gospel with them. And to cut a long story short, a number of people from the township started attending our church. And just like I shared about the Fernwood group, people complained at first. There was concern about having these other people from a much more challenging socioeconomic background come into our worship space and concern about sharing a common cup with them in communion because people didn't want to contract diseases. So adjustments were made, sacrifices were made, but in the end, we welcomed them into our community. And the, what they brought to it cannot be understated. What they brought to our worship, the beautiful harmonies, the incredible energy that can only be described as jubilant, was contagious. It was a blessing to us, and I know it was a blessing to God as well. And I still remember the songs that they taught us. We are walking in the light of God. This was an example of sacrificial fellowship, but it extended beyond just welcoming them in. Some members of our church found jobs for many and even paid for college for a few. That's a huge financial sacrifice. And the church started a home group in the townships. So a bunch of church leaders, a bunch of white guys, started going out to the townships, which in those days was a very real safety risk. And my dad will tell the story of how one time they made the mistake of driving there in one gentleman's Mercedes. And how during their meeting they noticed a gang of very drunk men surrounding the small house in which they were gathering with the intent of dragging everyone out and probably killing them because that's how things used to go in those days. Fortunately, my dad and the others were able to sneak out the back door and escape. But this example of sacrificial fellowship at Kingsway Christian Fellowship is what I witnessed growing up. 
And for many years, I lamented that we didn't have the same opportunity for that kind of sacrificial fellowship here in Victoria, which is absolute nonsense. Of course we do. The dynamic is different, but there's still huge need all around us. There's obvious financial need on the street downtown. There's hidden need as well. And because of the pandemic, many find themselves struggling financially, mentally, emotionally, with the challenges that the lockdown and isolation has forced upon all of us. Do we agree with that? So then, how do we follow Jesus' words to go and do likewise? What are we going to do about it? I mean, it is important that we talk about it, that we're aware of it, that we take time to process it. But in the end, talk is a lot less costly than doing something. Our actions speak louder than words. I hope this strikes a chord, because I do think this is an area that many of us could do more. And thankfully, I have the perfect opportunity to put this into practice. Many of you have probably heard about Living Edge. It's led by our good South African friend, Neil Van Heerden. And they continue to give free groceries to those in need at markets all over the town. And I'm thankful to have been given the opportunity to serve once a month, along with a small group from another local church and a group from Table Peninsula at Living Edge Central Saanich Neighborhood Market. We have the opportunity to help. We have the opportunity to chat with these people, to get to know some of the regulars, hear their stories, and even sometimes pray with them. I make a point every time I'm there to ask permission to give thanks for the food and pray for all those who participate at the beginning of the market as we hope to introduce people to Jesus. Now, Table Peninsula has, as always, a faithful group of volunteers who help out at the market. But as the COVID-19 numbers on the island have risen and Living Edge remains open because it is considered an essential service, and we have put COVID procedures and protocols in place, we do also have to realize that the volunteers are putting themselves on the front lines. And I've encouraged those in our community who are at greater risk to stay home. Some of our seniors have diabetes, they're immune compromised, or they're recovering from heart surgery or cancer. So what this means is we're low on volunteers. And sometimes I'm the only one from our church who's there. I actually also probably shouldn't be. I have a history of whooping cough, asthma, pneumonia, and I don't feel comfortable sharing that because I'm not trying to humble brag, pat myself on the back. I can't stand stuff like that. But I am trying to lead by example. And because in preparing this talk, I realized that this is the perfect opportunity for you all to apply, to put into practice Jesus' teaching on the table's core longing for sacrificial fellowship. It's a real, tangible, concrete opportunity for you to maybe sacrifice some of your time and energy, to maybe go for a little drive, even with mild risk to safety. I've tried to give a few examples of sacrificial fellowship. Now, it's not just one thing, it's a lot of things. But of course, when we are in doubt, we do have a perfect example. In John 15, Jesus teaches his disciples, his community, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
and actions speak louder than words. So Jesus puts his own teaching into practice. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians. Now, back in the 90s, all the kids at youth groups used to wear these wristbands that said WWJD. It stood for what would Jesus do? Then they stopped wearing them because somehow they were getting used wrong. I don't know how. I never wore one of the wristbands, but I do remember how helpful it was to me to go through life and when faced with a situation that made me unsure or uncomfortable to ask myself, what would Jesus do? What this pandemic has taught us is that we as human beings are not as good at giving up or sacrificing what we want to do for the sake of others. Even we as Christians are not as good as we think. In fact, I'm sad to say that during this pandemic, I've experienced far more bending of the rules and pressure to do so for our own purposes from within my Christian community than from those I know who are not Christian. We were created to live in community with God and one another, to love each other and our neighbors as much as we love ourselves, in the same way that Jesus teaches and demonstrates in his own life, sacrificially. But we're not as good at this as we might have thought. We are, after all, all sinners. And all of our sinful nature is ultimately selfish. We were created to live in community with God but we've separated ourselves from even this because of our sin and our desire to serve ourselves. We cut ourselves off from this, and it was far worse than losing a limb. It meant losing life itself. But God, God the Father, demonstrated sacrificial fellowship by being willing to sacrifice his only son. And God the Son, Jesus, demonstrated sacrificial fellowship by being willing to submit to the will of the Father, even though he was equal to the Father, to humble himself and sacrifice his own life for you and me, so that we could once again be in fellowship, in community with God, so that that sinful, selfish nature that separated us from our Creator was forgiven, so that the relationship could be reconciled and we can once again be in relationship, community, fellowship, koinonia with God. Christ revealed the cost of this kind of love. And when we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? We believe the Holy Spirit will and does empower us to live that out in our own lives. Even if it's difficult or uncomfortable or inconvenient. So that we can truly go and do likewise. And live this out with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are areas in our lives that we do choose to act selfishly. When we put what our community gives to us above what we should give to it. And Jesus, we thank you that you lived out the perfect example of what it means to live in sacrificial fellowship. And that you died in our place 
to bring us back into perfect community with you and with one another. And Holy Spirit, would you continue to do your work in our lives and mold us into the image of Christ that we might know and live out the sacrificial fellowship that he has demonstrated to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.